Alright everybody, welcome back to another video here on Financial Friends. Today we have an episode of This Week in Finance for you where I talk everything about things that have happened this week in finance. So without further ado, hit that like button down below, comment something throughout the course of this video, add to the discussion down in the comments, and hit subscribe. That way you can join the friend group. We're almost to 1,000 members strong. Would love to reach that. So let's go ahead, hit subscribe, help us get to 1,000 friends. And without further ado, this week in finance, make sure to stick around for the end. I'm sure you can see the open tab. We're gonna be talking about the student loan refund, if you will. So let's go ahead and get into Starbucks. First things first, operating chief is departing the company. Um, and the company is essentially removing his role. So Starbucks COO John Culver will be leaving after 20 years with the company. Um, they are kind of amidst this whole reshifting, reshuffling around um, of people. The interim or former interim and now interim again, Howard Schultz is uh, the current CEO of the company or the interim CEO of the company. And they are expected to announce a new CEO at some point particularly the investor day. Now, the company is admits this kind of rebuilding phase, if you will, currently looking to get away from all of the union things that are happening with the company and just continue to chug along. Now, I do see success in the future or on the horizon for Starbucks. Not that the company isn't already successful in returning uh, profits, that is, to uh, shareholders, but I believe that the company can continue to grow and they're going to continue to grow because they're going to be forced to continue to grow. Here in Michigan, we have a really big player, Big B, um, but I know on the West Coast, there's another big player, Dutch Bros. That's actually a publicly traded company. There is a lot of competition for Starbucks and they cannot just sit on their hands and allow that competition to grow because it is growing, right? Coffee is a ever-changing, um, fast-moving landscape where people love their coffee and they want to get it in the best way. Some people like the smaller, less capitalistic kind of approach and others don't. Others don't care. They want to know exactly what they're getting every single time. So um, there's a vast variety of coffee out there, a vast variety of ways to get your coffee. You can get it at fast food restaurants. You can get it at Starbucks. You can get it at Dutch Bros, Big B, Dunkin' Donuts, like it is a competitive landscape and with their app, with their ability to have locations everywhere, Starbucks has that one leg up. They are the true national and really, I mean, they're in other countries, so you could call it multinational, but um, Starbucks is that national brand for coffee. They're in your grocery stores, it's in gas stations in different bottles, and it is everywhere with their physical locations. And they're finally starting to realize that those drive-through only locations are going to be available, valuable pardon, in the future. That's what Dutch Bros is doing really well, and that's what Starbucks has to replicate. Clearly, they're going to be doing something different, getting rid of that operating chief role and kind of shifting it and putting some other responsibilities to the head of strategy and transformation, which is what they're going to need to do to stay relevant. Now, moving forward, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has cleared the way to buy as much as half of Occidental Oil's shares or Occidental Petroleum's shares. Now, let me just start by saying, before I really dive into to anything else, anything Warren Buffett buys will go up. Anything Warren Buffett announces, anything Berkshire Hathaway announces will do well. Why? Because Berkshire Hathaway is buying it. It's really quite that simple. 
This is a company that Berkshire Hathaway has been slowly purchasing over the last little bit of time. And I'm going to focus on this graph here in a second. But the reason he had to kind of come out and announce this and say, hey, can I buy this is because in Louisiana, Occidental and Berkshire Hathaway feed into the exact same grid and then they get to sell leftovers to local areas. And so with Berkshire now essentially controlling more of this grid, he has to go out and say, hey, can I own like literally half this company if I want to? Because essentially it will be Berkshire and half of Occidental will be him. Now, it only makes up for, they quote here, 048 percent of the actual capacity connected to that grid. So they claim it's not that big of a deal, but nonetheless, he did disclose. Now, moving to more of the price action side of things, look at Occidental versus the other S&P 500 energy stocks, and then compare that to the S&P 500. Warren Buffett can have success, and I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying that Warren Buffett and Berkshire can have success because anything that they buy for the most part, is going to see this type of rise. The hype out there is big. And especially when energy stocks themselves were already doing well, now Berkshire Hathaway announces that they are going to be buying more of a company. This right here is absolutely massive. You can see that Occidental shares jumped rising 9.9% after the publication of the ruling, up 146% this year. Absolutely crazy moving forward to the next story now this is a bit smaller but niche of a story um but doordash announced they will no longer be delivering on behalf of walmart this comes shortly after they announced that they will be delivering on behalf of facebook so now facebook marketplace items can be picked up and then dropped off by DoorDash drivers and Walmart items will no longer be picked up and dropped off by DoorDash drivers. This comes kind of at a good time for Walmart who seem to be deciding, do we want to have our own delivery service or not? This is going to bolster the Walmart Plus value because I'm sure that Walmart Plus subscribers will get you know some type of priority when delivering items via their hopefully, or I'm assuming, proprietary delivering efforts. And it does mention here in the article that Walmart's not too upset because it has been working on its own delivery efforts, especially with that um, partnership with Canoe, the electric vehicle company. So some things happening in this space. DoorDash in a very interesting position, no longer being propelled by the pandemic um, and kind of making a couple different moves here in the world of delivery. Now, this is a big story here. Twitter had a whistleblower um, essentially saying, look, the company just is not doing things the way it's supposed to be doing things. Um, he came out and said, look, there is a lot of things going wrong related to privacy, security, and content moderation. The four major things that Zadko, who is the whistleblower um, against Twitter, says is, look, we have out-of-date software that lacked basic security measures, and I'm reading directly here from the article, so I'm going to go ahead and highlight it. Gross amounts of problems um, in who could access or control different systems and data, problematic internal processes, and a volume and frequency of security incidents impacting a large number of users' data that it is absolutely stunning. And so this raises the question, can this gentleman, Peter Mudge Zadko, poke holes in the story for Twitter. He is the former head of security um, for Twitter. And now he was fired from Twitter, okay? So there's a little bit of, could you say, reasoning on Twitter sites saying, hey, look, 
this guy was fired. He was not doing either his job properly, good enough, whatever it might be. Um, but this this is a big story. This is really, really big for Elon Musk because if this gentleman can poke holes in the story of Twitter, it could then essentially degrade Twitter's story a little bit. Um, I have been listening to CNBC. I have been listening to some news channels and people familiar with laws say that, look, this is not a debate of bots. This is not a debate of really anything other than what types of papers, what types of documents did Elon Musk sign and what did they say? If you have a piece of paper that says, I don't care about bots, I don't care about anything, I don't, you know, I'm waiving all due diligence, I just want to buy the company, let me buy the company, and I'm obviously, the, the papers would not say exactly these things, but you're getting my, my gist is, if he's waiving all rights, saying he doesn't care, he wants to buy the company, doesn't matter what level of bots or security measures are happening within the company, then he is liable to purchase that company if he put pen to paper on documents that said that. Now, if he didn't sign those types of documents or the types of documents he signed um, were inherently misleading, and this whistleblower is saying that Twitter has a history of misleading, there could be some ground for Elon Musk to make up in that regard. Now, moving forward, Peloton struck a deal with fitness or to sell their fitness and equipment apparel on Amazon. This is not a story about Amazon. This is a story about Peloton. Amazon is one of the largest or is the largest online retailer basically in the world. Um, and Peloton's now going to be listed on that. That's huge for Peloton. Why? Because the company was only selling its products direct to consumer and in physical stores, which of course, when you're trying to 180 a failing company, a company that was doing really for the most part, everything wrong, considering the timing of um, the pandemic, and then they're really hyped up, and now they're making too many bikes, and now demand is rapidly falling for their bikes, and now people don't have quite as much money to purchase very extravagant things, and now we're, you know, we're tightening or uh, hiking rates up, and people are going to have even less money in their pockets. You need to be accessible. You can't just be in physical stores. You need to cut costs as a company to make sure that you can weather these types of storms, but the company essentially already in an absolute demise, um, they struck a deal with Amazon, which could be good for the company to drum up some extra demand. Peloton did say from a privately contracted company um, that they were getting as much as I think it was half a million, or maybe it was millions, let me try and find it here in the article, of searches already on Amazon, which means that there is demand for the product through Amazon, um, and they didn't even have to figure this out. It was actually something that was kind of already there. Here we go. Uh, Peloton's COO, Kellen Camilla, said there's already about half a million searches on Amazon each month for Peloton products based on a research from a third-party consultancy. So, it was never on Amazon. It was already generating half a million searches, and now the products will be on Amazon. Now, I did hear back from some people on Twitter. I asked their thoughts on this. They did say that this is a bit odd. They think it could kind of hit margins for Peloton because now you're selling through another company, Amazon, who of course is going to take fees and take some other things like that. So um, is it neither here nor there? I'm not sure. I think at this point, margins are out the window. Peloton needs to move product. Peloton needs to generate some form of demand. Now, of course, this sent shares up drastically. Of course, the stock is going to shoot up after some really good news like this. Well, um, we saw that absolutely eradicated because look at the volatility 
in Peloton over the last couple of days. News breaks that they'll be on Amazon, boom, stock shoots up. Then news breaks that, of course, the company did absolutely terrible in the last quarter and shares plummet right back down. The company lost $3.68 per share on a consensus loss of 72 cents. So analysts, people who study and look at the company, thought they might lose 72 cents a share this quarter. They lost $3.68. Wowza. Um, And missed on revenues figures with $678.7 million in revenue versus the expected $718.19 million. So a big miss, well, misses on both lines, but a massive miss on EPS. Now, I think we knew this. Like, I'm not sure why it was such a big surprise. Obviously, when everyone kind of buys up the stock the day before, that increased volatility and hype around the company, and then they release something like a stinker like this, shares shoot right back down. But just look at their chart. I'm 99% sure we've looked at this chart before. I've posted it to Twitter as like, hey, guess this stock chart. People got it right away. An absolutely meteoric rise, especially during the pandemic. And then an absolute meteor from space down to earth of a fall um, directly back down here. The stock's sitting at $11.01 after being all the way at a high of $162.72 just about two years, well, less than actually, two years ago. Now, Peloton, as I already mentioned, um, moving forwards in a tough spot. They have to pivot. They have to change. They sell a service that, I think I had it here, um, is $44 a month on top of like a $2,000 bike. So you're going to tell people, during a time where pocketbooks are tight, the economic outlook is poor, uh, layoffs are beginning to increase, that if you want our product, please spend over $2,000 acquiring it and then sign up for a $44 monthly fee to actually use like the, the true nature of the product to unlock its full potential. Please pay us $44. It's not a good business model. It's one that John Foley is rapidly trying to figure out how to change and pivot to something that can actually be a good business moving forward. And um, th- quite literally, that's, I'm sorry, not John Foley, <laughs> Barry McCarthy. John Foley was the previous CEO. Um, but, but nonetheless, an absolute, I mean, uh, it's a monstrosity of a task to handle to turn this company company around. And if he does it, props, really, really big props. All right, last story. I told you I was going to talk about it. Let's go ahead. Let's dive into it. President Joe Biden canceled $10,000 for federal student loan debt um, for most borrowers. Any borrower that had $125,000 or less of income will qualify for this $10,000. If the people are married, that joint ownership of $250,000 or less will then still qualify you for this $10,000 wave of federal student loan debt. And if you received a Pell Grant, you will be able to get a $20,000 reduction in your student loan debt. This came after people said he would never do it. This came after he pushed off the payments for student loans over and over and over and over again, Um, and he finally did it. $10,000 if you make $125,000 or less. If you're filing jointly, $250,000 or less, and if you got a Pell Grant, $20,000. Now, 
This has sparked massive debate on Twitter, massive debate in the news, massive debate everywhere, and I am going to give you my couple of cents here. I am on both sides here, and this black and white, this back and forth of it either is good or it isn't good, in the long run, we will find out what it actually is or is not, or if it is not good or it is good (laughs) Um, from an economic standpoint, but it is good for every single person out there who had some of their student loan debt erased. To put it bluntly, if you had not paid that debt back, there was either the potential that you couldn't pay it back or you weren't willing to sacrifice. So those individuals benefited. Do, do the masses benefit? Probably not. Um, someone else's, the person next to me, student loan debt being waived does not necessarily mean that that is a good thing for me. It is a good thing for them, and I can acknowledge that, and I will acknowledge that, but it is not necessarily a good thing for everybody else who could potentially have to bear the cost of something like this down the road. We were told over and over again that we, younger people, will bear the cost of all of this stimulus that happened during the pandemic, of which I think that some of it or most of it was necessary. But we still have to bear the cost, and that's the reality. So, yes, this is a great thing for everybody who is getting some relief. This is potentially not a great thing for everybody who worked really hard to pay their debts, and and now everybody else is being forgiven. It doesn't set a good precedent, even though we are helping people who, for the most part, might be in need. Um, But it's not a precedent we should be setting because things that you take on knowingly and willingly should not just be erased. And I know there's some debate over whether everybody understands um, what they were actually doing when they took these loans out. Nonetheless, it is your responsibility to understand that whether you did or didn't or were fully or not fully explained the consequences of your actions, you yourself sign papers or accept things and you have to be acknowledged of that or you have to be acknowledging, I should say, of that. The last point I'll make on this, I myself actively avoided taking out loans throughout uh, my schooling, and I'm currently actively avoiding taking out loans during my schooling. I am taking less classes than I could be. I am working part-time to cover those classes because I need time to work and because I can't afford the full class load and work at the same time. Um, And also, you know, I, I want to build here financial friends, and that gives me some leeway to do so. But I did not go to a big university for the simple fact that I would not be able to pay for that. And had I have known that something like this was in the cards or was happening at the time of my decision, I could have very easily went to a larger school and afforded it because at one point I was eligible for the Pell Grant. Then I went to a smaller school and I became not eligible for any type of federal student aid. So at one point, I was eligible and could have accepted a Pell Grant and used some type of government loan to fund my education, and that would have potentially have been erased, right? Um, I could have been done with school. I could have hurried school, whatever the case is, right? I actively avoided and made decisions because I personally knew that me, it would not be a good fit to take on that debt. So now that people's debt is getting just thrown out the window, um, it, it does. It makes you feel a certain type of way because you altered your lifestyle and the way that you moved about to avoid that and other people's is just going out the window. So final wrap up of thoughts here. It is good for people who got that waived. At the end of the day, it's my life and I'm going to live it and I shouldn't be affected by everything else that's going on because you can't look back in, in hindsight, but this is a poor precedent, precedent to set. So 
Um, the, the black and white, the narrative that this is a good or a bad thing single-handedly, it it just isn't the case. That's my two cents. I hope you all enjoyed this video. I hope you took something valuable away from it. All of this news is going to continue to come out every single Sunday. So if you're interested, hit subscribe, hit the bell so you're notified, comment something that you learned down below, or comment your thoughts on any of these topics down below. Hit the like button, and I'll see you all in the next one. Take care.